Welcome to this week's message here on Brit David Podcast. Today, we look into the book of Acts from chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. The capability of Jesus' resurrection to change a life. The message of Easter is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's not about bunnies. Bunnies can't change your life. It's not about colored, hidden eggs. Eggs can't change your life either. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead has full capability to change your life and the lives of everyone you know. Here's Pastor Tim. And you can be seated. Thank you so very much. I'm so glad that you're here today on this Easter Sunday morning. We have been taking our time to go through the Gospel of Luke. Today, I'm going to take you to Luke's other book, the book of Acts. If you take your Bible this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter number 4. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture there today. While you're turning there, though, let me catch you up on the story itself uh, that we're looking at today. Because the story actually doesn't start in chapter 4. It begins in chapter 3. In chapter number 3, Peter and John have gone to the temple uh, uh, at at the hour of prayer. And on the way there, they pass by the gate, and there sits a man who has been lame since his birth. And, uh, and he's there and he's begging. He's asking people for money as they head into church, so to speak. So you can easily get the picture of what's going on there. Most of us would turn away and not look at that person as they, as they ask for money and certainly not try to get eye contact, but Peter does. And he takes the opportunity to look down at this man and say to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have... I give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man, sure enough, this guy, the Bible says, strength immediately came into his ankles and into his feet. For the very first time, he was able to stand on his own power. He was able to walk. He was able to jump. And so he's leaping about this place, praising God for this incredible miracle that's taken place in his life. Well, all the people around have seen now what's happening. I mean, they've seen this same guy week after week after week sitting there begging money. They know what his circumstance was. They know what the problem was. And yet now he's standing. He's running He's jumping. He's praising the Lord. Man, and it's infectious. It is, isn't it? Worship becomes infectious, doesn't it? And so, so everybody around there begin to circle around Peter and John, and they want to know, what is this? What in the world has happened? So Peter seizes on that opportunity, and he begins to teach them about Jesus. Just teaching them. At the close of that service, though, the close of that sermon, we discover that it's not just people who are excited about the miracle that are standing there. There's some Jewish leaders that are in the crowd. There's some Sadducees that are in the crowd. There's some scribes who are in the crowd. And they are none too happy about what's been going on. And so they have one question, one question for them. So they arrest Peter and John The next day, they gather them before this whole congregation, this whole courtroom called the Sanhedrin to ask them this one question. It's found in verse 7, by the way, if you're there already in Acts chapter 4. By what power or in whose name have you done this? Now, they're asking a question, but they're like a lot of people who ask questions not for information. 
You know, a lot of people ask questions for a variety of reasons. Sometimes people ask a question just to get a rise out of you. Sometimes people ask a question because they want to start an argument. Sometimes they ask a question because they want to know if you're on the same side that they're on. This question is not asked for information. And the reason I can say that is Peter made it clear, didn't he? All the way back up at the very beginning of this miracle, when it took place, he said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So they already know. They already know, don't they? They know whose name that they've done this in. In fact, three different times in this message that Peter preaches, he mentions Jesus specifically by name. They're not asking the question for information. They're asking the question for intimidation. The world will intimidate you if it can. It will intimidate you into silence. It will intimidate you into quitting. It will intimidate you into not trying to live the life that God has designed for you to live. If the world can make you stop, then the world absolutely will make you stop. It becomes the hand of our very real enemy. Well, I said that they're there, drawn to the Sanhedrin to answer that one question. It's the answer that Peter gives that I want us to look at today. Beginning in verse number 10, there are six different things that Peter has to say about Jesus. Because, I mean, bottom line, that's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> By what power or in whose name are you doing this miracle? The answer is Jesus. I mean, the answer is always Jesus, really. It reminds me of that little Sunday school class of the boys and girls and the teacher ask a question. What's gray and furry and likes nuts? And the class didn't say anything. Come on, class, you know the answer to this one. What's gray and furry and likes nuts? And nobody said anything. Come on, class, somebody has to know the answer. So one little boy said, Sounds like a squirrel, but I think I'm supposed to say Jesus. <laughs> Jesus really is the answer, you know, for just about everything that you really need to know in this life. But Peter takes time to really describe for us who Jesus is and what the setting is like. Look, if you will, in verse number 10. The first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus is the name lauded. Jesus is the name lauded. His is the name that is exalted. His is the name that is praised. It's the only one worthy of that, isn't it? Well, look at what he says in verse number 10. Peter says, let it be known to you all, that's the Sanhedrin, and to all the people of Israel, for everybody, I want you to know, I want the world to know. That's what Peter's saying. I want everybody to know. Look, here's the answer. Verse number 10. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's it. It's the name of Jesus that he exalts. It's the name of Jesus that he praises and worships right there in the midst of the courtroom. It's not simply saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. He's testifying of who Jesus himself is, and he is exalting him as the Son of God and as God the Son. Now, there ain't no name quite like the name of Jesus, is there? There ain't no name like Jesus' name. But that, that doesn't mean that there weren't people named Jesus. 
There are a number of people that you find in the Bible by the name of Jesus. There'll be people that you find today in, in different countries who share that very same name. But, Paul, but Peter wants you to know, and Paul wants you to know, and Luke wants you to know, and Tim wants you to know that we're talking about a specific Jesus. In fact, Peter does that in his message. But Luke does it all the way through this book of Acts. Let me take you through this for just a minute. I want to start at the end. I want to start all the way in chapter number 17. Chapter number 17, you'll find Paul preaching to the Thessalonians, and he's been in that, in that synagogue for three straight Sabbaths. And this is what Luke says that, Peter is, or that Paul is telling them. He says, this Jesus, this Jesus, whom I preach to you is the Christ. In chapter number 9, Paul was talking to the Jews, and the Bible says that he was confounding them. He confounded the Jews, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. In chapter number 6, it's the Sanhedrin again. This time they're accusing Stephen. He's about to become the first martyr. And they bring witnesses to this trial. And the witnesses say this, We have heard him, we have heard Stephen say that this Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. In chapter number 2, Peter preached his first sermon and in that sermon, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. Kind of what he's saying right here in verse number 10. Let all the house of Israel know. Let everybody know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Just a few verses before that, he said it so plainly. This Jesus, God has raised up, and we are his witnesses. It's not just any Jesus whose name is lauded. It's not just any Jesus whose name gets praised. It's not any Jesus who has the name that is above every name. It's this Jesus. This Jesus who was crucified. This Jesus who was raised. This Jesus who is the Son of God. It's Him that we worship. It's Him that we exalt. It's Him that we laud. To make sure... For Luke to make sure that his readers understand exactly who we're talking about. He continues on in verse number 10. He says, I want this house to know. I want the whole of Israel to know that this Jesus, the Jesus Christ of Nazareth, look at the next phrase, whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. Jesus is the name lauded. But Jesus is also the crucified lamb. He is the crucified lamb. And now when he says, and, and Peter looks at them, and he says, you crucified him. There certainly would be some that are in that crowd that said, no, hey man, it ain't my fault. It's not my fault that he got crucified. I wasn't anywhere around here. It's not my fault that he got crucified. I've never even held a hammer. It's not my fault. I don't have any nails. It's not my fault. Man, people throughout all the generations have been saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that Jesus was crucified. It's the Romans' fault. It's not my fault that Jesus was crucified. That's the Jews' fault. It's not my fault that, that Jesus was crucified. That's Herod's fault. It's not my fault that Jesus was crucified. That's God's fault. I want to tell you something. 
It's your fault. It's my fault. He doesn't go to the cross because of his own sins. He doesn't go to the cross because he's a criminal. He goes to the cross because I'm a sinner. He goes to the cross because I'm a criminal. He goes to the cross to bear my sins in his own body. And that becomes for every person that's in this room, for every person who's not in this room, every person who's ever lived. Imagine with me for just a moment that feeling that you know all too well, that feeling of guilt. You know that feeling when, you, when you've done something wrong and you get caught. <laughs> or you think you get, you're about to get caught. It's a, it's a feeling of shame, isn't it? Thing of guilt, one that's so heavy and so burdensome, and sometimes you just can't get rid of it until you release that. Jesus never knew that feeling. Never knew what it was like to feel shame. Never knew what it was like to feel guilt until the cross. And the sins of the entire world throughout every generation are laid upon his shoulders all at once. No wonder he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But he's done that because of us. He's crucified because it is the wages of my sin. I'm so glad verse number 10 continues. Because it doesn't just finish with whom you crucified. Look at the very next phrase. He says, whom God raised from the dead. Jesus is not only the crucified lamb, he is the risen Lord. He is the risen Lord. You know, as you go through the book of Acts, you discover that they didn't preach quite the way that we preach. We spend a lot of time preaching about the crucifixion. They don't spend a lot of time talking about the crucifixion. They spend a lot of time talking about the resurrection. It's the resurrection that sets Jesus apart from everybody else. It's the resurrection that sets him apart from every criminal. It's the resurrection of Jesus that provides us with hope. It's the resurrection of Jesus that proves that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God and God the Son. It is the resurrection of Jesus that gives me hope that I can be saved and that you can be saved and provides a means for that. It is the resurrection of Jesus that ensures to me that I too will be raised from the dead. The Bible says that he is the first fruits of those raised from the dead. That doesn't mean that he was the first in chronological order, does it? I mean, there are people in the Old Testament who were raised from the dead. There were people that he raised from the dead. Think about Lazarus. Doesn't mean that he was first in order. It means that he's first in importance. He is the number one person who has been raised from the dead. And as the first fruits, <laughs> if you have first fruits, that only means that there's coming second fruits, right? What's it mean? It means because he lives, then I live too. It means that there's life after this life. It means that there's more to come. Jesus is the risen Lord, and if I will give my heart and my life to Him, then I'll be with Him forever and forever and forever when that day comes. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. 
Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.